the majority of hospitalizations and deaths from COVID, the vast majority of them are preventable. There's no need for them to happen. It, it could have been prevented to begin with. So if a district administrator is not talking about mandatory vaccines for all, they are not serious about protecting human life. This is the BAM Podcast, Episode 1, Three Lies School Officials Say to Reopen During the Pandemic Versus the Science of COVID. BAM exists to build the movement needed to defeat COVID by shutting down schools, mandating vaccines, mandating masks, and winning paid leave and economic assistance for families so they can support their children's ability to learn remotely. BAM puts out the science and knowledge needed by the new mass, militant, youth-led civil rights movement to stop COVID, fight racism, stop global heating, defeat the neo-fascist far-right, defend democracy, and win equality. The movement needs leaders. It needs people to join BAM. Follow our podcast, visit our website bamban.com, and join our Discord. The link is on our website. More ways to contact us at the end. BAM held a national tribunal for shutting down COVID and shutting down in-person schools on Zoom on January 17, Martin Luther King Day, 2022. The tribunal was held during a wave of student and teacher-led walkouts and strikes against dangerous school reopening plans. The following are voices of students who did the walkouts. Yeah, I believe it's better that we should just shut down school, not because like we want to get out of school, but because there's so many cases. And even if we're in school, there's no doubt that we can still get COVID. So even before COVID, our school is extremely overcrowded and COVID only makes it worse. Our hallways are always crowded. Our lunchrooms are even worse. There is no way that my school can ever truly be safe. The way that things have been handled have been abysmal. Right now we have rampant COVID-19 cases. Teachers are constantly falling sick and having to be urban burdened with extra classes, with extra students, and it's not sustainable. We're almost at 200 positive cases and we still haven't shut down. I live with two grandparents who are immune compromised, plus a couple of other family members. So I don't want to go to school, risk getting sick, and then have to come home to them. So the quote-unquote safety agreement uh, that was concluded out of uh, CPS and CTU sitting at the table together, there was no young people sitting at that table. The current situation is unsustainable. To do nothing is abdicating the school's district's responsibility to our community. This will not be the last of it if the provincial government doesn't make change. We will continue to protest and we will find other ways to make them hear our voice. BAM held this tribunal to arm activists with the knowledge and arguments needed to lead the movement to save lives and build the power of our communities. The tribunal opened with Shanta Driver. Shanta Driver is the national chair for the Coalition to Defend Affirmative Action, Integration, and Immigrant Rights and Fight for Equality by Any Means Necessary, BAM, and the national director of United for Equality and Affirmative Action Legal Defense Fund. She is the political and legal architect behind BAM's fight to keep the schools closed and fight for full virtual learning during this COVID-19 pandemic to protect the lives of students, teachers, and families. Shanta Driver has proven to be a true civil rights leader. Shanta Driver has proven to be a true civil rights leader. 
She has been a leader for over 50 years, starting as a Black Panther as a teenager. She graduated from Harvard University and from Wayne State University Law School. As a founder of the National Women's Rights Organizing Committee, or NROC, she spearheaded successful struggles in the early 1990s that kept abortion clinics open and defended women's right to abortion nationwide. As BAM's national chair, she applies a scientific method of analysis to understand history and intervene in ongoing current struggles. Whether being one of the few Black women attorneys ever to argue at the U.S. Supreme Court defending affirmative action, or whether in immigration court stopping deportations, or leading marches and rallies in the street, Shanta Driver leads by example. I want to give a sense of what we're trying to accomplish today. Um, we are um, hoping to be able to use this tribunal as a jumping off spot to be able to continue uh, the fights that are being made and to build a national movement that can shut down public education now, make every school return to remote learning, make every student, teacher, school worker, parent, community member safe. We learned that if you want to actually organize people, it's absolutely essential to tell the truth and stand on the truth. And so today we'll have Neil Lyons pre present information that provides the truth on where we're at and what we need to do to stay safe. We um, began organizing around uh, COVID-19 um, when it first started. And I wanna say a little bit about what we did in Detroit because um, this school year, since Christmas, Detroit was the first and largest school district to cancel all in-school learning and go 100% to remote. And that is because of the campaign that we've been waging over the last several years. In 2020, when the summer school program began in Detroit public schools after the schools had been uh, made completely virtual for the end of the spring term of 2020, um, the school district announced that the summer schools would be in person. And we did two things. We organized to get people signed up to bring a lawsuit to try to prevent the summer school classes from going forward unless there was testing of students, of teachers, of anyone involved with the summer schools on a regular basis and that we get a first round of that testing immediately. We won that lawsuit, but we never would have done it if it hadn't been for the fact that we were organizing pickets uh, school bus sites and at schools to try to stop students from going into uh, summer school classes because we knew it wasn't safe. And I think this period really taught us something about um, how to organize and, and what is needed to fight and win. Because the very, very first day there was mass testing in Detroit public schools in the summer school, um, there were two or three students that came back positive. And the school district crowed about this and said, you know, we 
tested more than 100 students and only two or three came back positive. So it's safe. And the response of parents immediately was to pull their students out of summer school because it may seem okay to a school superintendent, a local politician, even a national politician right now for that kind of ratio of um, students that are infected, known to be infected, existing in a school. Maybe the, all these politicians find it okay, but in Detroit, the parents and the students did not. And that summer school essentially was closed down. And I, I wanna underscore here that I think that the one of the most effective, if not the most effective way to get a school district to go to remote learning is for parents to refuse to send their, their children to school, students refuse to go to school and keep demanding virtual learning, remote education for everyone. I saw today that in Los Angeles, 130,000 students did not report for school. And we know if that number grows, even if it stays as it is now for some period of time, LAUSD is gonna to have to offer a lot more virtual options for students. And if we can build on that momentum, we can get all of LAUSD to become virtual. I think um, the best way to describe what we saw from students and parents, which has continued in Detroit and which is what led the school district to feel in December after the Christmas break and after vowing to keep schools open no matter what, um, the school district knew that just the publicity that had gone out around Omicron and our band's constant organizing to keep the school shut down meant that it wasn't even worth trying to open the schools. If they wanted to have any kind of public education offering, they had to go completely remote. And that, that, that action that seems atomized and in many ways passive of not going to school if you're a student or if you're a parent keeping your child home, I think is strike action. And it's strike action of parents and students of the most effective kind. And I would just say to every parent and every student who is staying home or being kept home right now, reach out to other students, to parents, to community members, to teachers, to whoever you have access to and ask them to join the strike. Ask them to stay at home. Because while it's great that there's student walkouts taking place, it is, it is really heartbreaking to see the videos that we saw at the beginning of this with students in the largest public school in the nation, an elite public school in New York, Brooklyn Tech, just wanting two weeks of remote learning, feeling that they couldn't skip school because they want to be college bound. They don't want anything on their record that might hurt their opportunities of being able to go to college and just asking for two weeks of remote education right now so that they can continue to be educated safely, keep their family safe, keep their community safe. 
And those students, if there was a way to organize them and get Brooklyn Tech organized to stay home and stay out to join the strike, that would be fantastic. I promise you that the school district, New York school district, despite everything they're saying now, would transfer Brooklyn Tech and other schools to remote education if that kind of action took place. Well, we continued in Detroit organizing and we continued getting out the truth. And as the, the, the virus progressed, what became clear was that they were just waves of lies that were coming out by scientists, by the CDC, by all kinds of people that we thought could be responsible and tell the truth about what to do to protect yourself and what to do to stop the spread of infection in this society. But all of a sudden, these people that had sworn themselves to be doctors, to stand on scientific truth, began saying all of these things that were not true and they knew were not true. We went through a wave of being told that it was fine to take off your mask, fine to go to big public gatherings, fine to eat inside crowded restaurants, go to football games, go to basketball games, go to every single event without a mask. And if that policy had not been instituted, I promise you, we would be so much farther in getting rid of COVID-19 right now. If everyone had stayed masked up, if everyone had continued to use hand washing and hygiene, if everyone had social distanced, if everyone had stayed home as much as they could, and if every school had stayed closed and gone virtual, we would be in a position where we might be able to see the beginning of the end of COVID, but we're not there now. And we're not there because our scientists and politicians failed us. In over the course of this year, um, we've organized within the teachers union and within the schools first to try to get protocols put into place if schools were gonna remain open that included mandatory regular testing, that included mandatory vaccinations, that included um, implementing um, a, a policy of students and teachers and school workers being able to get effective masks, N95 or KN95 masks. And we, and, and of course, we wanted anybody who was sick to quarantine and to stay at home and anyone who was to anyone who is positive to be able to quarantine and stay at home, to institute a policy of social tracing so that we could limit the spread of the virus. And the minute though that it became clear first with the spread of Delta, and then in the beginning of December with Omicron, that we were entering a period of extreme, extreme danger. <laughs> we just said, close the schools down, go to remote. The, the measures that we've been asking for, that we continue to ask for in those schools that remain open, they are inadequate to deal with the crisis that we are in now. And we need the schools shut down. 
this winter coming out of the Christmas break, there've been a number of places where schools have had to be closed down because teachers have called in sick, parents have kept students at home, students have refused to go into school. And that has led to such low attendance that effectively whole school districts have had to shut down. But the biggest, biggest change was seeing the Chicago teachers go out on strike. And that was electrifying. It was great. And I I just cannot commend the Chicago teachers enough. I feel like our problem with teacher strikes, both Chicago this year and teacher strikes in the last several years, is that if they're organized by the uh, local elected leadership or by the national union leadership of AFT or NEA, they are going to be strikes that lose that could win. There'll be far too many concessions made. There'll be an attempt to get teachers back as quickly as possible. There'll be uh, a policy of teaching people how to lose instead of how to win. And I, I so admire the Chicago teachers. I'm so glad that that vote on the contract was so close. And I'm so glad that actions continue in Chicago because I know the teachers can win there. I know they can. They're up against one of the most treacherous mayors in the country, but they can beat her and they can win. And one of the things that was especially inspiring in Chicago was when teachers went back to work and there started to be student walkouts in Chicago. That just sent a message to all of us. Oh, no, these teachers aren't done fighting. They're organizing now in the schools. They're uniting with their students. They're standing and fighting together. And that is exactly what needs to happen in order to win this fight. The walkouts have spread to many other schools. They've been strike actions and sick outs in many, many school districts. They've been uh, organized efforts by uh, BAM Eon leaders to get uh, sick outs and strikes to take place in, independently in many school districts that have been very, very successful. We need to continue to do all of what we've been doing because this is life or death. This is, this is astounding to be in a society in which our leaders at every level of government have decided that what the American people need to do is get used to high death rates and accept it. To have leaders that have tried to demoralize us and lie to us, leaders whose main motivation has been to get the economy started, whatever the human cost might be. This is an outrageous situation. And it's like when you're fighting, when you're out there and you're telling the truth, you're swimming against the tide. But believe me, we've learned that you are speaking for millions and millions of people who will not submit who will not say it's okay that in a very short period of time, we're going to have a million people dead in America because of COVID-19, that no, 
this is unacceptable. We have to bring this era to an end. And the only way to do that is to take maximum precautions and for the movement to assert itself and make sure that we are in charge from now on of what COVID-19 policies will be in this country because everyone else has failed, but we can win. So I just want to thank everybody for being here and turn things back over to Yvette. Shanta Driver's presentation was followed by another by Neil Lyons. Neil Lyons is an organizer with BAM. He has committed his life to the fight for equality, civil rights, and immigrant rights. He is a dedicated student of science and a graduate of the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. During the pandemic, he began a rigorous study of the science, economics, and politics of COVID-19 while making use of the history of previous pandemics. He possesses an uncanny ability to convey complex scientific and political phenomena in a way that is at once coherent and practical. Most importantly, unlike most public health officials and politicians, he is unwavering when it comes to speaking the plain truth. The movement for equality and justice can be proud to call him a leader in its ranks. Hi, um, my name is Neil. Um, I'm just going to speak briefly um, on a few points of the science that um, uh, that I'm highlighting specifically because I want them to be useful to uh, the people here who are organizing. Um, and so all I want to cover is three points. I want to talk about three lies that are being told by policymakers and give you a sense of, okay, what the real truth is and, um, and, and how to counter those lies. Um, so very kind of practical, need to know organizing stuff. And obviously there's a lot more lies than just what I'm gonna cover, but I'm, I'm gonna cover a few of them that are, um, that just come up all the time from, uh, from politicians, from school district administrators, and, and need to, you know, we need to be able to fire back. Um, lie number one, is we're doing something. We are taking action to keep people safe. We're doing this and this and this, and we have this requirement, this protocol, and we have a rubric and, you know. Um, this is one of those things like the environmental crisis. Everyone can say they're doing something and nothing is being done. Um, everything keeps getting worse. Um, uh, the most of what a school district is doing in their policies is just telling you enough, whatever they have to say, the minimum of what they could possibly do to convince people to come back to school so that the parents of the children can go to work and be making more money in the economy. You cannot take any of the public safety measures just by themselves, and you can't skimp on these things. Um, and in the safety measures, we need to be talking about vaccines, masks, testing, contact tracing, quarantines, and 
subject of, of this meeting, shutdowns. Um, these are not an either or proposition. All of these things are necessary. Um, in many cases, you know, a school district is only using so much in the way of masks or testing just to avoid having to do shutdowns. But that is a tactic that cannot be taken off the table. It's, it's an essential thing. And, and just a, a few quick words on, on each of these. Um, uh, with vaccines, there is no excuse for vaccines not to be mandatory. For decades upon decades, it has been completely normal for students uh, to need to be vaccinated for measles and mumps before attending school at all. Um, and we have, you know, abundant evidence, overwhelming evidence now that being vaccinated makes a person many, many times less likely to be hospitalized and less likely to die from this pandemic. Um, and if you ask any hospital worker, any, any healthcare worker, what their priority is for the public, vaccines are it because that's, that is what affects their hospitals the most. This is, you know, this is the measure that most greatly reduces hospitalizations and deaths um, by, by more than 90%. And what that means is the majority of hospitalizations and deaths from COVID, the vast majority of them are preventable. There's no need for them to happen. It, it could have been prevented to begin with. So if a district administrator is not talking about mandatory vaccines for all, they are not serious about protecting human life. It is just such a simple, commonplace measure. Um, if you have the opportunity to save hundreds of thousands of lives and you don't, where do you really draw the line between negligence and mass murder? This is, this is such a, a basic thing. Masks. Um, we, we now don't know that most cloth masks do basically nothing, but we have very good masks. Um, the typical surgical mask, which is very cheap, is around 60 to 70% effective, but we could do much better than that. The very best mask is the N95, which is around 95% effective. Um, and uh, there are a couple other masks that are over 90%. Uh, which are the KN95 and the KF94. Um, those are very good. The N95 in particular for children comes in small sizes, child size masks, the best possible protection. So N95, KN95, KF94, those are in a class of their own. Those are the only things you can get that are more than 90% protective those should be available to everybody and they shouldn't be optional. Um, they are certainly more expensive than the typical surgical mask, uh, but human life is worth that cost. Um, it, is, it is worth paying for. Um, testing, uh, we now know that with Omicron in particular, the virus has evolved to a point at which it is very hard for the rapid tests to detect Omicron. So if you take one of those really fast do-it-yourself tests, um, you can get a false negative very easily. 
And that is turning the rapid testing system into just a way of keeping stuff open and making it look like fewer people are sick. The tests that will accurately find Omicron the best are the PCR tests. It's where you get the nasal swab really high up in your nasal cavity and it's analyzed in a lab. Um, and so if we're talking about testing, uh, we need to be talking about effective testing, not the, the old you know, rapid tests that you can find in a grocery store, which were optimized for a previous version of the virus and aren't recognizing Omicron. So when we're demanding testing, we need, you know, we need to understand some of this testing is being used um, as kind of a fraud at this point. Um, contact tracing, quarantines, some of the most basic things, but you know, then also just the essential thing that we're here to talk about right now, shutdowns. Before this pandemic occurred, just a few years ago, everyone knows what happened when a school has an outbreak of measles or mumps. The school closes down. It's so, it's so simple. This, this was like basic, you know, basic procedure, basic medical, you know, best practice, you know, just a few years ago, even though it feels like ancient history now. Um, COVID-19 is much more dangerous than measles. It's much more deadly. Um, and it is uh, rapidly becoming more infectious with, uh, with, every, new, uh, with every new variant. Um, this, this practice of being able to close things down to uh, get the situation under control uh, has been universally rejected by uh, politicians of both parties, by by the district administrators, and um, and we are we are going to be the only real force. Organized students, parents, teachers, community members, we we will be the only real leadership to fight for this basic policy that has you know been essential forever. If you have a deadly outbreak going through a school, shut it down, stop the outbreak, very simple. Um, and all of those best practices in healthcare policy need to be on the table. You cannot say this or that. The Supreme Court you know, uh, rejected Biden's vaccine or mask, no, vaccine or test, policy for big business. Um, and that was a, a terrible decision by the Supreme Court, but the policy itself was too weak. Vaccine or test, those are completely different measures. They do not accomplish the same thing. Uh, they are needed for their own reasons. And both vaccines and testing need to be mandatory as well as masks. Uh, you cannot just pick and choose which ones you like, which ones are most convenient, which ones are the easiest for getting people back to work. Um, and uh, um, in in the in that Supreme Court case, there were businesses that claimed that the the vaccine and or testing mandate would cost them billions of dollars, 
And that argument should have been thrown out of court because the vaccines cost nothing. The federal government already paid for all of that. They cost a school district nothing. They cost a business nothing. There is absolutely no excuse for anyone to fail having a mandate. Um, this, this is just a simple question. Are you serious about keeping people alive? That's all it is. Um, and uh, the fact that uh, there has been such a universal failure to implement most of these measures is a sign that the, the real policy is uh, to keep the money flowing and that uh, they are perfectly willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of lives uh, if, um, if that's what you know, makes the rich richer. And that's, that's the crime that we're up against. Lie number two. Cases are going down, the surge is over, we can all go back to normal. This has happened now multiple times during the pandemic. And part of the lie of, uh, of this whole thing is obviously just pretending that evolution does not exist. Evolution has brought us wave after wave after wave of the, of the virus. And, and we'll continue to do so uh, until the pandemic is over. Pandemics do end, um, but it usually takes a long time. Uh, and the rule is it ain't over till it's over. Uh, the evolution of, of a virus follows a very simple pattern. The more it spreads, the more it creates mutations. The more it creates mutations, you have more diversity of the virus. And so you have more competition to see which variations of the virus are best at reproducing. And when something gets really good at reproducing and is an improvement, it's a new variant or a new strain. And, and so we have, we have been through this multiple times. We had the original wave of COVID uh, that began under the Trump presidency. Once that wave uh, started going down, uh, CDC said, cases are going down, everyone can go back to normal. That disarmed the public, leaving everyone vulnerable for the next wave, which was when we were hit by the Alpha variant. And that one came almost immediately after the original wave. Um, and and that was uh, that really began in the very end of uh, 2020, beginning of 2021. And when that subsided, the CDC committed the ridiculous crime of saying, uh, we can all go back to normal. You can take off your masks if you are vaccinated. Um, everyone can go back to school, go back to life as usual, as long as you're vaccinated. That left everybody, including vaccinated people, vulnerable for the wave of the Delta variant. And they started sending people back to school in the midst of the Delta outbreak. And then when you know Delta started moving down and uh, they said, you know, okay, well, this wave is over. So uh you know, it, as, as long as you're vaccinated and your family tests negative, you know, go do your holiday vacations and meet up for Thanksgiving, meet up for Christmas. That disarmed everyone. 
and left everyone vulnerable for now, Omicron. And, you know, this virus is looking a lot smarter than our public health authorities. Uh, the, the virus keeps changing, keeps getting better, and the authorities keep doing the same stupid thing, disarming the public and leaving us vulnerable for the next and the next stage in the evolution of the virus. Um, and it, what that does is it allows the virus to evolve that much more rapidly. The more spread you have, the more transmission you have, the more evolution you have. And that puts all of us at risk, even those who are vaccinated, because it, it can allow the virus to evolve in a way that bypasses some of our vaccine protections. Um, so this is just a lie that has to be confronted. Evolution does exist, and it ain't over till it's over. And um, and we need to be, you know, we need to be prepared to battle every single phase of this pandemic. And it it will not be the same pandemic. It will not be the same virus from beginning to end. And and we have to be able to respond accordingly. And the third line, last point I'll make is kind of the obvious one. And it's the lie you hear every day. Um, the schools are the safest place for our children to be. And you hear that on the news every day. We've covered this before, and I'll just run through some of the basics again. Um, there are plenty of studies and some of the, our previous stuff that we've, we've put out and and even in our recent flyer, there's a reference to the study in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Um, closing down schools dramatically reduces the numbers of cases, the numbers of deaths, and the rate of transmission in the community as a whole. Um, the, uh, the study uh, was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, um, showed that school closures reduces the um, numbers of deaths uh, by 58% uh, in, in what we've seen in the United States, and it reduces the number of cases by 62%. That's reduction of more than half. And so it means our public health officials and school administrators know that when they are opening schools, they are doubling, more than doubling, the number of cases and deaths. They have health advisors who can give them this, this information. And, and when they are opening uh, schools during a surge like we're having, and this is the biggest surge we've seen so far, they know they are dramatically increasing the number of people who die. That is about the most irresponsible decision any leader could make if you're responsible for anyone. Um, and we are in a situation in which COVID is getting better at infecting children and hospitalizations of children are at their highest. Um, one of the symptoms that is particular with Omicron in children is called croup, which is a very distinctive uh, cough and hoarseness and labored breathing. Um, it, it has a recognizable sound to it. 
and also all the usual symptoms, uh, loss of taste and smell, high fever, chest pain, fatigue, brain fog, um, none of which are good for learning, none of which are good for staying alive. Um, this is many times more deadly than the flu in children. Um, it is uh, back in, in 2020, um, uh, when we had versions of the virus that were not as good as infecting children, COVID was already the seventh leading cause of death in children in that year. Um, and we, we can barely keep up with what are the, um, uh, what are the implications for the, you know, for the Omicron variant. Uh, and, and overall in the United States, COVID is, uh, is the third leading cause of death for everybody. And for, for elderly people, uh, above a certain age, it's the number one cause of death. Um, and uh, um, and okay, we know we know why these policies are so bad. We know in order to uh, get parents back to work, you have to get kids back into school. This is about keeping the economy, you know, running red hot. Uh, there is an article out today uh, showing that um, during the pandemic alone, just during the short window of time, the world's 10, 10 richest men doubled their wealth. And that, that is blood money. That was at the expense of hundreds of thousands of lives in the United States and millions of lives all over the world. And uh, we are not going to sacrifice the lives of the nation's children, the nation's parents and teachers and everybody uh, for the sake of helping those billionaires make more billions. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is an emergency. This is, this is our time to fight. This is our time to lead. Um, so I, I'm just going to conclude with with that um, covering those those three lies. There's a lot more we can cover, uh, but we have some organizing to do. So so let's talk about that and uh, talk about how to get these strikes and shut these schools down. So, thank you. This has been the BAM podcast. The movement needs leaders. It needs people to join BAM. Follow the BAM podcast. Visit bambam.com and join us on our Discord to build the movement. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash bampage. Our YouTube is youtube.com slash nationalbam. We are on Twitter at followbam, on Instagram at joinbam, and on TikTok at joinbam. Thank you for listening. <laughs>